Today we want to be talking about the subject of, of missions. For the next three weeks, actually, we are going to be uh, looking at this. And we really, at, at Gateway, have not spent a lot of time on this subject. And there's a number of reasons for that. The first reason, I would say, is simply because uh, the focus of our attention has been to establish God's church here. Um, but along the way, we have had, as far as our leadership is concerned, a great desire to make sure that as we establish the church here, that it um, that this church here is totally and completely committed to global missions. And we want to uh, make sure that we are, we are doing all that we can to prepare ourselves for that missionary endeavor. And uh, one of the things that we have established, I mean, after, after six months and we looked to our 2012 budget, we said, um, you know, we are going to establish a first year's budget, and in this budget we are going to set aside at least 10% of our budget is going to go to missions. Now, the reality is, friends, we have, um, God has blessed us financially um, that we are not only meeting our budget, but we are exceeding our budget, um, and we have money set aside for missions that we have not determined yet what to do with it, Okay. This is a good problem, and what's exciting for us as a young church, as a new church, is that we have the great privilege of saying, what does God want us to do in the area of missions, to be purposeful, to be mindful of what God is calling us to, to be effective, to do the things that truly reflect um, the heart and mind of God, and uh, really reflect our mission endeavor, and that is knowing, applying, and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and, of course, the Word of God, which encompasses all of that. So uh, we, we have this great privilege right now for the next few weeks together not only to study God's Word, but to talk about and to think through um, what it is that God would have us do in, the mis- in our missionary endeavor. Now, listen. We don't have to rush into anything unnecessarily just to satisfy our own guilty consciences. At the same time, we don't need to wait so long. And that's part of the reason why there is already established a reconnaissance trip to Bolivia, having thought through a lot of the principles we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks, uh, to begin the process at least of looking, at least of examining and saying, could this be what God would have us do as far as a missionary endeavor? Um, Now, I have had the great privilege, and many of you know this, of living in different parts of the world. Um, I was born in Tel Aviv, Israel. Um, When I was five, we moved to Frankfurt, Germany. When I was eight, we moved to Camberley, England, which is a suburb of of London. Um, And then from there, I moved to Clarkston, Michigan, which is really out in the boondocks. Um, And that's the mission field there. And of course, then from there, as I went to college in South Carolina and got married and went to Buffalo, New York, and that's a whole another world there. Um, God eventually took me back to, ca- to Michigan and then out here to California. And, you know, be, having the privilege of, of going all over the world means that um, God has placed me in context where I've had to experience different cultures, and that's just been part of our family's makeup. And part of the reason we did that is because both my parents were born and raised in India. My mother is uh, the daughter of an American missionary, and my father is the son of British business people over in India. They grew up in India, met in India. But my father started working for British Airways, and so that took 
him around various places. So growing up in my, in my family, it was very much an international flair. Um, you know, typically once a week we had curry for dinner. I mean, that was just part of our natural makeup. Now, what's interesting is here in California, what I'm, sh what I'm sharing with you really doesn't have quite as much impact because this is very much a melting pot. I mean, just look around in our church. It's very much a melting pot. But in many places, you know, w what I'm sharing with you is like, wow, really? You know, yeah, we have curry and then the next day have pancakes. I mean, you know, it just those things are not typically culturally together. And um, it wasn't unusual uh, across our, our living room and through our house to have knickknacks and, and pictures and things from all different places where my, my parents lived or had, had spent time. My father served for British Airways in the Sedan for like a couple of years and had servants. And then he was moved to uh, Reykjavik. You guys know where Reykjavik is? It's not a small crawling animal. It's actually a place, okay? It's, it's in where? Iceland, very good, okay? And, and, and all these different places, and I'm asking my dad, how, you never told me about that, you know? And, but Bahamas, um, again, you mentioned Germany, and uh, just other places where my dad had been, and <clears throat> it wasn't unusual for us then on Christmas Day, uh, habitually, every year, we sat down and we watched my parents' slides. And just so you know, slides are little, little square things you put in a, right? And, and there were pictures of my parents um, in, in places like, you know, in, in, uh, in the Himalayas, um, up in a place called Kashmir, those sweaters, remember those sweaters? They actually come from a region called Kashmir, all right? And um, they're also in the Sudan, and getting pictures of all these different exotic places, and it's like, wow, I'm just, it's, it's not, un it's, it's no surprise to me, and it shouldn't be any surprise to you, that God has put in my DNA a, a desire and a love and a hunger for missions and for the gospel to go out to people of different cultures and different nationalities. Now, that might be true for me. That's just how he's wired me. But it is also true for the church. God has created his church with one of the responsibilities being that they have a heart and they see themselves as part of the process of the gospel going out to the nations. And friends, that's, that's where we want to be uh, heading here in these next three weeks. And I, I use the expression up there, rethinking missions, because all of us in here, if we've been a part of the church for any length of time, have in our minds some thoughts about missions. We come at it saying, well, this is what missions is, or, or this is how you do missions, and, and, and what you're thinking may actually be true. Our time together over the next few weeks may simply be reaffirming things that you already know to be true. It could also be a, a time where, where you are corrected about your ideas of what missions is all about. And let me just say this, the state of missions in many Christian contexts has drifted away from its original intent, and that is to take the gospel and to preach and to teach the gospel in various nations to much more of a humanitarian kind of approach where, you know, you're feeding babies, you're feeding people, you're building buildings, you're, you're giving people clothing, and all those things have their place. I'm not saying that's wrong, but as you study the gospels, as you study the epistles, you find that the missionary endeavor is always connected to and has always as its central focus the proclamation 
of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that in that region churches may be established. Okay? So as a missionary endeavor, if we go and we simply go to clothe people, we're not doing missions. We're doing mercy ministry. Now, that mercy ministry may be a vehicle. It may be what is needed. It may give a platform for the gospel to be preached. But it, in and of itself, is not what missions is all about. It is the proclamation of the gospel and, and taking the gospel to the various nations around the world. And I say nations, I mean ethne, ethnic groups around the world. Right? And we'll talk more about that. Now, my pastor... Um, I was saved when I was 16, although I grew up in a Christian home. But my pastor, uh, his name was Paul Vanneman, and he had a great impact on me, on me especially in the area of missions. And in particular, um, the, the, uh, the focus of, of supporting or thinking through missions from the perspective of national pastors and national workers. And so the... 1990 missions conference hosted at, at his church, which would be my home church, um, I met some of the sweetest and, and, and godliest men and women I have ever met. I, I just, I share that with you, and I'm just going to share some names. They mean nothing to you, but they mean everything to me. Um, Matthias Mohikas, who is the person that we're going to be connecting with in Bolivia. Um, Isaias Rodriguez, who's in Monterrey, Mexico. I think he's now with the Lord. Joshua Felix from Sao Paulo, Brazil. And I'm just, these guys, their pictures and their vibrancy, their love for the Lord is just is coming to my mind as I mention their names. Uh, Branko Tehojevic, who is in Negotin, Serbia, who talked about, when, during that time, if you remember, all the conflict was going on in Serbia and how refugees were coming there and the economy was horrible and and yet here's this, this man of God faithfully proclaiming God's truth in a very, very difficult area. Uh, Dr. Point de Jour in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. I, I bring his name up because here is a guy um, who was attempted to be necklaced at least three times. And to be necklaced in Haiti means you take a tire and you wrap it around someone, you fill it up with gasoline, and you set it on fire for preaching the gospel. Because his preaching was affecting political activity. And here's this, this gentle, sweet, godly man. Um, Victor Sadaka. He's not a singer. Um, that's Neil. Um, this is Victor. And, and let me tell you what. He's from Beirut, Lebanon. Again, now with the Lord. But you talk about a statesman. You talk about a guy who could stand up and he could speak speak in such a way that you'd think this guy was a politician, crisp and clear, knowledgeable, powerful with the word. Peter Kunst in Germany. Um, and then Edgar Trabulsi, and Edgar is a personal friend of mine. He is, he is Victor's kind of like protege. And, and, and Edgar right now um, ha, is, is president of the Beirut um, or Lebanon Baptist Seminary and uh, Lebanon Baptist Church. And it, he has a seminary where, listen to this, people from all these Islamic nations can freely go to seminary and go back to their countries, okay, where they could never come to a place in Europe or even the States. They can go there. Now, I share those with you just to give you an idea 
that the, the age of thinking of the, I'll use this expression carefully, the, the white American going to some place and staking his flag and doing ministry is, is changed or has changed. And the focus of attention of missions now is far more on the nationals doing the work. There was this attitude that, well, we need the, you know, we need the, the, the American person to be there to, to make sure things are done well. And, and there's an element of truth to that. But I think that time is over and we're finding out that the nationals trained and equipped to do the work of the ministry are far more effective. Okay? And so I am all for and I have a passion for training nationals to do the work of the ministry. So this, my, my pastor, Paul Vanneman, um, had a passion for missions, had, had a passion for the support of nationals. And as you can tell, I've, I've caught that vision. It's been, it's been pummeled into me. It's part of my fabric. It's what I desire to be a part of when it comes to missions. And honestly, friends, I want you to be a part of that too. And I want you to see that Gateway Bible Church, although young, although relatively small, can be used by God to affect world evangelism in a particular area that God has called us to. We are not called to do it all, but we're called to do what he's called us to do in a particular place or in some particular places and to be effective at doing that. So the question then is, why missions? And just a few quick summary uh, ideas here. Why missions? Um, first of all, um, is, is it about Americanizing the world? Is that the idea? We want everyone to walk around with Levi's and Nike and uh, to be able to sing our songs. Um, no, they already do that for the most part, right? Um, we, we, we're not about capitalizing the world and making it all American. It's not what it's about at all, right? Uh, is it about... Um, is it about conquest and land and, and, and empires? You know, is it really about, you know, well, you know, we're Americans and we go over here and we establish, you know, missions here and this is, we've claimed it for ourselves and look at how great we are. And no, absolutely not. Now, I would say this, that God uses, might want to say, ungodly empire endeavors for his glory. And when the British Empire spread, it didn't have on its front line the gospel, but back behind what was going on, there were people that went with the gospel. And so you have the gospel that went different places. And the point being that God has, even as Americans, given us freedom to go certain places now, not that being there was because of anything that we did, but the, the opportunity is there, and so we want to seize that opportunity because we have the freedom to go do that. And so it's a great, great reality. But the goal isn't conquest. It isn't land. It isn't empires. Is it all about souls? Is that all it's about is souls alone? And the, the, you know, you're like, mm, I'm not sure about that one. Um, it is about souls, but it's not about souls alone. I, I, I would like to tell you or share with you that the purpose of missions is not purely about souls. It is ultimately about the glory of God. Okay. It is ultimately about being faithful to proclaim and to, uh, to broadcast his fame, as we sung earlier, among the nations. The soul's part of it is what God does. 
We are faithful to do what he's called us to do, but he is the one that reaps the harvest. He is the one that actually brings people to himself. He is the one that draws in his church. And so we don't just glory and look at what we did and look at the, look at the, the kind of people that, that, you know, that, that, that got saved when we were there. That, that's all God's dealing. Now, we are faithful in our efforts to preach and to teach and to proclaim, but it is God who ultimately gets the glory. And so he, his glory is, is the reason behind it all. Turn to a couple of passages of Scripture. You have the references there, Genesis chapter 12 and verses 1 uh, uh, and following. Genesis 12, verses 1 and following. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and Make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless him and bless you. And him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here's the promise. And here's, the, here's what God says to, to Abram. I mean, this is just an incredible promise of blessing. I am going to bless you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now, the New Testament corollary is Galatians 3.8. Just, you have it there in the handout, or you can look in your Bible. And the scriptures foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, put in their nations, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, which is the passage we just read, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. Now let's look at one more passage of Scripture. That's Numbers 6 and verse 22 and following. Now I just want you to see this, this word blessed, this word blessed, Abraham, bless Abraham, and then in you, all the peoples will be blessed. And then in the New Testament there, we have this message now to the church that just like Abraham was the receiver of this blessing, you also will be the ones that receive it, but you will also be the channels to which that blessing will go. Now, number 6, verse 22 and following. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord, has, uh, Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So, that they, uh, so shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. Now what is... A blessing in this context, in the passages that we read. You know, oftentimes, you know, we, we talk about, you know, oh, this is a real blessing, right? We use that expression, it was a blessing. It's even kind of culturally accepted for people to use that expression. Well, what's going on here? Well, there is a physical blessing, which is primarily what God was promising uh, national Israel, physical blessing, 
prosperity, uh, having, having you know, resources, having, having armies, having borders expanded, having uh, har- you know, good harvests. There is a physical blessing side of that. But friends, when we get to the New Testament, it is not the physical blessing that is being talked about here. In fact, the promise ultimately for Abraham, although there is a physical di- dynamic, also has a spiritual side to it. And it is a spiritual blessing that is, that is the idea that is going on here in, in particular in Galatians. God is saying that through you, the earth, the nations will be blessed. And what is that blessing? You say, I have been blessed by God. You might casually talk about, you know, you got some money in the mail and, you know, you're able to buy this car that you didn't think you could buy and it was a good price and all that kind of stuff. We use that kind of generically. But the the real idea of blessing here is a spiritual blessing. All right? It is salvation. It is reconciliation. It's regeneration. It's grace. It's the prospect of heaven. It's this gladness and joy that we have because of the gospel. So it's not just the transaction of the gospel, but it's all the benefits that come with the gospel that help us to live our lives for the glory of God. That's a blessing. I mean, it's a blessing when you go on vacation and you get sick and you're in bed most of the time and you can say, you know what? God is in control of all this. Rather than getting angry. It's a blessing because you're rooted your life and your thinking and your framework in an understanding of who God is and what his purposes are. And the reason that you and I can come to places and go through difficult times and be able to hold it together is because we are rooted in the gospel and we know that he's seated on his throne. He's high and lifted up. There is nothing on this earth that shakes him. And if I am going through some difficult times, guess what? He's aware of it, and not only is he aware of it, he is the one who is behind it because he is fashioning and shaping me for his glory, and he is preparing me for some good work. It just changes our perspective. It's a blessing, though, to be able to have that, and it's all rooted in what has taken place on the cross. Salvation, grace, heaven, gladness, and joy. So, now as we come to our passage today, we want to we kind of break this up. We're not going to go sequentially through the psalm. We're going to look at it in three different ways. First of all, we're going to talk about the purpose of God's blessing, Then we're going to talk about the process of God's blessing. And then, although I may not like this word exactly, uh, it fits. That would be the product of God's blessing. Okay, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. Um, But the idea there is, you'll see what it is. It's the product, the end result, and where it ends up. Okay, So let's look at the purpose of God's blessing. Why does God bless? All right? Now, we have two refrains in this psalm, verse 3 and verse 5. They are identical, so I'll only read one. Is that okay? All right, very good. Let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. This is a desire. This is a purpose. This is what is sought after in this psalm, that not only the peoples, plural, And the idea there is nations 
ethnic groups would praise God. But it's also that all the peoples would praise him. So God wants to be glorified by all. He wants to be praised by all. That's the goal. Isaiah 45 and verse 22 and following. Here's what we find. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth. For I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. And here's the word. To me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall swear allegiance. You see, God desires for his creation, in particular the peoples of his creation, to glorify him, to praise him. And ultimately, everyone will bow the knee. Now, we know that's also a reference to judgment, right? Philippians chapter 2, verse 10. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. The psalm that we are studying here reveals some things about, about God and what God wants to be. All right, let's look at what God wants to be first of all. God wants to be known. What does it say? That your way may be known on the earth. God wants to be praised. Verse 3, let the peoples praise you, O God. God wants to be enjoyed. Verse 4 says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. All right? That's enjoyment. He wants to be enjoyed. God wants to be feared. Verse 7, let all the ends of the earth fear him. Fear him. That reverential adoring fear and awe of who God is because he is glorious. God wants to be known. He wants to be praised. He wants to be enjoyed. He wants to be feared. But we are also told in this psalm three aspects of his character. God reveals some things about himself. Verse 4 tells us that he is a God of justice. You will judge the people with uprightness or equity. Fairness is the idea there. God is also a God of power. Verse 4. You'll guide, the, uh, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth. And then, he's also a God of grace. Verse 1. God be gracious. To us. Now, so all these, these, these wonderful realities about what God desires for people to do with Him, to be known, to be praised, to be enjoyed, to be feared, he is also a demonstration of some characteristics of God. He's just, He's powerful, He is gracious. So, God is a true living God and is jealous to be known, praised, enjoyed, and feared by all the peoples. Of the world. The peoples plural and all the peoples of the world. So how is God to be known 
among the peoples of the world. I'm glad you asked. Because that's what we're going to look at next. All right? And that would be the process of God's blessing. So, so how do we get from, from this desire that God has for people to praise him, for all the peoples to praise him, what is the process that is necessary to get to that place? It's not necessarily in sequential order, but these are the elements, the ingredients to that process. It begins, however, with God's people, and that's with us. Look at verse 1, if you would, please. And just notice the emphasis of the word us. God be gracious to us, bless us, and make his face to shine upon us. Now remember, this is Israel singing. This is Israel crying out to God. And they are saying, God, bless us, be gracious to us, make your face to shine upon us. And we see then, not that the church is Israel, I don't think that is true, but I think we pull the principles that are there to Israel to say these are also principles that would be true for the church. And so we can, I think, confidently say that God is saying that when we go to God, we are, when we cry out to him, we are crying out to him regarding the nations, regarding missions, by saying, God, be gracious to us, bless us, and make your face to shine upon us. In other words, don't give us what we deserve, that's justice, Give us your grace, what we don't deserve. Look at us with favor. Now, all that sounds good, doesn't it? God bless us. Be gracious to us. Look, who does not want any of that? Now, I want to put a little caution here. This is not talking about a prosperity gospel. The church rightfully following the instructions or, or, or taking this, this passage and, and, and crying out to God or praying to God or singing this to God is not asking God for blessings so that you and I can have a bigger home and, and more Cadillacs or, or Mustangs or have a jet or anything like that. That's not what's going on here at all. Blessing, however, is something that you and I want. If we truly love the Lord, we're truly pursuing him, we want to grow in our relationship with him. Would you agree with that? We desire more from God. We desire more, you know, to, to be more mature. We desire to, to, to have more understanding and awareness of who he is and what he calls us to and, and how wonderful and, and awesome he is. We desire all of that. So not only can he bless us, get this, he has already blessed us. Now listen, you know, kind of shifting focus a, a little bit here, but many times I've been out of the country doing missions work, been to Russia, uh, Bolivia, Costa Rica, and I remember on, on I think it was a return trip from Russia, having have been gone for like 16 days, and I remember we went through some hardships during that time, just kind of, you know, where we stayed and the kind of food we had to eat. And it was a great trip. I mean, we, it was just fantastic what God was doing. But I tell you what, when we landed at Kennedy Airport, and you get off the plane and you're standing in an American airport, you're just like, ugh, it is so good to be home. Just, just purely on a, I, I feel safe, I have an awareness of the culture. I, I know how to think and move and what to expect and how things happen. If I want to go to McDonald's, I can. 
although that wouldn't be wise, but I, if I want to, I can, you know, but there's just, you're, you're, you're just, you're, you're, you realize how blessed you are. That's, that's the point I'm trying to make from, from, a, from a physical dynamic. We here in the States are truly blessed physically. Now, I just want you to think through this. And I do not mean to look down on any particular group of people, but I was having this conversation with my daughter just a couple of days ago, and my question was, you know, look around. Where are the poor? Where are the poor? Are there any poor in Castro Valley? Are there any poor in Hayward? I'm not asking you to answer, okay? All right, maybe in Oakland there's poor. Our definition, culturally speaking, of poor is far different than actually what poor is. Now, are there people who are poor? Yes. But there are so many opportunities and resources for people who do not have money to be clothed, to be fed, to be sheltered, and all that kind of stuff. We are truly blessed to live in a nation, whether you agree with a lot of the stuff that it does, but it is still a nation that does have resources to take care of people if they want help. But you step out of this country, and that isn't always true. And there are people who truly fit the definition of poor and who do not have much of an opportunity to do anything. Now, I just share that just to remind you that even what little you have, and you may have lost almost everything, even what little you have is far more than so many people around this world have. You're blessed physically, but you're also blessed spiritually. And we need to remember that the blessing that's really being talked about here is this blessing that really is, that comes in the framework of salvation and all the continued favor that we have because of that. And friends, get this. If our Christianity is simply shallow and might want to say, uh, following certain principles and tenets, and it, it just, it, it, we, we miss the point of the treasure that we have in the gospel. And many sometimes, if you know, say, hey, listen, you've got, you've got salvation, you've got the gospel, you're like, mm, okay, yeah. Do you really understand what that means? Do you understand the impact and the, the, the actual overwhelming reality of all the riches that we have at our disposal because of Christ Jesus? We are totally and thoroughly blessed. Now, there's a reason for his blessing to us. And that reason, first of all, is that we would glorify him. So he blesses us ultimately that we will glorify him. But there's a second reason, and I want you to notice verse 2. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Here's the word, that. Uh-huh. When you see a that, you look at it closely. Because what comes next gives you the reason for these things, right? That your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among the nations. So get this. It's not just that God wants to bless us, and that's the end of the story. It's that God wants to bless us, but having blessed us, he wants that blessing to continue on through us to the nations. 
All right? So let's think of it um, a little bit, eh. let's think of it a little bit like this. All right? We're saying, God, channel your blessing to us and ultimately channel your blessing through us, the recipients of his grace, the dispensers of his goodness. Imagine, you know, the blessing of God being a fountain, and it flows down this viaduct to us. We receive it. We benefit from it. We are overwhelmed by it. But it also flows then through us. Now, friends, get this. The kind of church that God wants to bless is the kind of church that truly wants to take that blessing and channel it to the nations. And if we just think that we are the end game, that we are the whole reason we have missed the whole picture of what God is calling us to in missions, right? So it begins with us. It's a beautiful reality. Secondly, um, it continues on through his word. Verse 2, that your way may be known on the earth. Now, there's two avenues that his way may be known. The first avenue is, is his testimony by word of mouth. His testimony by word of mouth. Um, let's read a little bit of scripture now. Joshua chapter 2 and verse 9. Joshua chapter 2 and verse 9 and following. And here this is the story of Rahab. And I think this, this gives us at least an awareness of the impact of the word of mouth testimony. Uh, <clears throat> and we'll just, we'll just pick it up at verse 9 of chapter 2 of Joshua. And said to the men, I know that this is Rahab speaking, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. This is Rahab, Jericho. Remember the story there? After the walls came down, here's, here's what she's saying. For we heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction, now, verse 11, and as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you, for the Lord, your God, he is God in heavens above and on earth beneath. The testimony, we sang the song, he's the famous one. His fame in that region had been talked about, had been shared from neighbor to neighbor to neighbor. Did you hear about the people of Israel and their God and the things that are being accomplished because of their God and how they, they walked through a sea and how they conquered these kings and now they're coming to our city. Now the irony of this whole thing is that those who were marching around the city thought, Wow, look how big this place is. Look how powerful and how large and how are we going to conquer this? And the people inside are shaking in their boots. It's a wonderful window into what's going on. But it's all because of the fame of God. This, this testimony by word of mouth. They heard, their hearts melted, and there was some kind of a form of belief. If you want to even say repentance, it certainly was there with Rahab. We see that as a result in Hebrews chapter 11. 
So God's blessing on Israel has been heard by the surrounding nations to the point that they are saying Yahweh is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. That's quite a statement. Okay. Testimony by word of mouth. Then secondly, the testimony by the written word, and that would be <clears throat> 2 Timothy 3, verse 14 and following. But as for you, continue in what you have learned, Timothy, and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation uh, through faith in Christ. Now, who, who was teaching Timothy the word of God? His grandmother, his mother. They were faithfully walking him through the scriptures. And as a result of that, the key part there is in verse 15, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You have grandmother and mom, you have the word, and ultimately wisdom for salvation. So, so the, the, this, this, this process of blessing begins with us, but it continues on then through the word of God, through the ministry of the word of God, through the testimony that's given, might want to say generally speaking, through the, the testimony that is given specifically through the word of God that has been revealed and is, is taught and is received and studied. Both of those things are working to see God's blessing ultimately go to the Gentiles or to the nations. The next area, though, is salvation. The process of God's blessing would be God's salvation. Notice what it says here again. In verse 2, we're back in, in, in uh, Psalm 67, that your way may be known on the earth, your saving power among the nations. Again, this is revealed and clarified by what we just read in chapter 2 and, uh, uh, of 2 Timothy, sorry, chapter 3 of 2 Timothy 3.15 there. God's salvation to Israel, God's salvation to all, that would be the Gentiles. But I want you just to turn your Bibles to another passage of Scripture, but you can look in your handout there. Here is a classic missionary verse of Scripture. You who have been Christians for a long time probably sat in some missions conference where this was the verse that was for the conference. It says, where there is no vision, what? The people perish. That's it. I mean, it's blanketed across the back, and everyone's like, yes, we have to have a vision. We have to have this vision for missions, and we have to have this mindset that we're going to reach all these people and establish a God-honoring vision. Now, friends, can I just be very, very blunt? And if you have your Bible open, and it's not a King James Version, um, you will see <clears throat> that that verse has been tweaked and distorted um, by those who may not have opened up other resources to find out what's being talked about there. What we are not looking at here in this verse of Scripture, that would be Proverbs um, um, 29, verse 18. This word vision is not talking about a 21st century vision. The kind of vision that, you know, as a business, you sit down and say, you know, what do we want the next three years to look like? Let's map it out. Let's plan it all out and let's... Is, there's a place for planning, but this is not what's being talked about here, okay? What is a vision? Old Testament context. Who has visions? Prophets. 
What is the role and function of a prophet? To declare the word of God that has been revealed by God through them to the peoples. Okay? So, if you have your ESV, actually NIV is a very, very good translation of this verse too, but ESV says this, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. Aha, wait a sec. What's the difference between a vision, 21st century, or a prophetic vision? Is there a huge difference? Absolutely. A prophetic vision is one that is proclaiming the word of God. Get this. Where there is no revelation of the word of God, what happens? The people cast off restraint. The people perish. The people run wild. So what then is necessary so that people will not run wild? Huh? Well, yeah. Something needs to be proclaimed. God's truth needs to be proclaimed. When God's truth is removed, people don't have any restraint because they're not taught the word of God. There's no conscience that is fed by the word of God. They run wild. I'm using different translations of that last expression. Perish, cast off restraint, run wild. And then the next part of that verse says, but blessed is he who keeps the law. If it's 21st century vision, it just doesn't make any sense how it all works together. Now, I, I share that with you to say, listen, what is the focus? The focus is the word of God being proclaimed, the revelation of God through this prophet being proclaimed to the people is absolutely necessary. If it's not taking place, the people are suffering. Now, I just want you to think about Israel, ultimately, who had been in <coughs> captivity who ultimately then come back to Jerusalem and they begin to rebuild the walls. You may remember the story recorded in the book of Nehemiah where Nehemiah tells Ezra, and actually the whole crowd is telling Ezra, bring out the book. It's like they're just chanting, bring out the book, bring out the book. And they, they built this huge platform and he stood up from morning till night, from morning till night, just reading the word of God. And then they would... They would actually break it down, and they would teach it, and they would explain it. But there was this hunger for the Word of God. Why? Because it hadn't been around. It hadn't been proclaimed. It hadn't been taught. And ultimately, we see there a great revival taking place. And this is also the story of the Reformation. And why is this the story of the Reformation? Because the common people were not allowed to have the Word of God in their hands, in their own tongue. In fact, if they did, they were considered to be heretics. They were tortured because they had the Word of God in their own common tongue. But those who had it were hungry and started to read it. And it created this, this whole new movement because people were studying it and reading it and understanding what it said. And it had been hidden from them. Friends, it is our joy to take the Word of God into places so that when the Word of God is taught, proclaimed, read, explained, the gospel of Jesus Christ comes through all of that naturally because it's there in the Word, and people then, uh, their eyes are opened up. They're moving from darkness into light. It's not because we held a baby. It's not because we simply 
poured out some food, although those things are helpful, those communicate. Ultimately, the power is in the ministry of the word in that context. So it begins with us. It comes through the word. It comes then through salvation. And then it also comes through this, this what I'm calling God's new life. And notice what, what it says in verse 4 here. Let the nations be glad and sing for joy. Let me ask you a question. Do you and I have something to sing about? Do we have things to sing about? Yes! You know, a mighty fortress is our God. A bulwark, never failing. He is He is wonderful, he's majestic, he's glorious, he's famous. And we can sing about not only who he is, but we can also sing about the benefits that we have because of who he is. And we sing and we rejoice and we celebrate together. We're glad and we ought to be people of joy because of what he has done and how he has blessed us. Not only that, it says, let the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity. That is faithfulness or fairness. You might want to write down Psalm 98, verse 9. Before the Lord, he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity or fairness. Listen, there's, there's only one fair judge in this world. And you didn't just vote him into office. He is seated on the throne. And everything he sees and every judgment he makes is right and pure and holy, fair and just. Now, friends, get this. When God says something about you, (laughs) it is true. (laughs) You can't get away from that. You can't say, well, God, I I think you got it wrong here no we ought to say it's true but not only that God says some things about us and he says but but I am also this I'm forgiving I'm compassionate I care I restore and so we as the recipients of having our sin exposed can also rejoice in the fact that we are not left there Because we have a God who is far more than one that points out our sin. He is the one who also conquered sin and has removed our sin as far as the east is from the west. He is perfectly fair and right to judge. The third thing then um, is, sorry, we're still reading here through verse 4, and guide the nations upon the earth. His guidance, gladness and joy, fairness, Guidance. And just think about the ministry of the Holy Spirit for a minute. If you're a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit who is residing in you. He is that one who affects the Word of God being taught, the Word of God being read. He is the one that brings things to your remembrance. He is the one who, 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 who points things out along the way in some, hate to use the word, but mystical sense. You know what I'm saying? We just don't, how did I come up with that thought? The Holy Spirit at work in your life. He is the one that does those things. 
Psalm 23.3, he restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Psalm 78.72, with upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. Listen, we are not wandering aimlessly. We have God in us, guiding us, revealing himself to us through his word and through the activity of the word in our heart so that we can ultimately glorify him. John 14, 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Listen, our blessing is an opportunity to take God's word to the nations. Here is this process then. There's, this, there's the purpose that, that <clears throat> the peoples would praise him, that all the peoples would praise him, but there's this process, and it comes through us. It comes through his word. It comes through the gospel. It would be salvation. It also com- <coughs> comes ultimately with the new life that we have in him. And this is where we take the message from last week, and we say, how is it that other people will see something different in us? It's because they see this new life at work. We see things differently, that we don't retaliate like other people would retaliate, that we process wrongs done to us in different ways, that we handle conflict in such a way that would glorify God. All sorts of different things that come as a result of the Word of God and the Holy Spirit being in us and fashioning us so that we can glorify Him with our daily lives. Now, let's move on to the product. The product of God's blessing. That the earth, or the earth has yielded its increase. God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, let all the ends of the earth fear him. Let's just think through what's being said here. The earth has yielded its increase. Friends, this, this is a picture of a harvest that is ready and ripe. Does that sound like anything to you? Pray, therefore, that the Lord of the harvest will send laborers into the harvest. Because they're ready. They're ready. Listen, the harvest is ripe. The harvest is ready. And so God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us ultimately that or let all the ends of the earth fear him. The, the idea here is that God blesses us and through that blessing then the rest of the world that we have the ability and the privilege to minister to will also be blessed. And so we can bring it down to two things. First of all, the product is this. It is blessing. God, we want your blessing, not for selfish purposes, but for your glory. And friends, these are heart issues that we can say, God, I want your blessing for me. Now, obviously, all of us want God's blessing for us in the sense that we want to grow in him, right? But we don't want blessing for us in a sinful sense because I want, you know, I want to be proud and I want to have and all that kind of stuff. That's a False gospel, that's not what we're talking about here. That's not what these people are saying when they're singing this. It's not what the writer had in mind at all. God, we desire your blessing. We desire 
And we want the nations to know you, to praise you, to enjoy you, to fear you, to see you as a God of grace, to see you as a God of power, to ultimately fear you as a God who is worthy to be worshipped. That's what we desire. So bless us, God. Secondly is the word fear. Now, let me ask you a question. Did Israel struggle with sharing their God, Yahweh, with the nations? The answer is yes. The story of Jonah is one example of that. Right? That whole struggle. God, how could you bless this other pagan nation? Don't you know what they've done and how they've abused us and how they continue to do and all the awful things that they've done? Yeah, there's definitely this kind of a, this is our God kind of a mentality that we see with the nation of Israel. And friends, we want to be very, very careful that we avoid that kind of mentality. And one of the places we start, as much as I love this country, please hear this, and I'll prove that to you in just a minute. America is not God's most favored nation. This isn't, you know, we talk about God's country. You know, what, what, all countries that have Christians in them, the Christians think that their country is God's country, right? I mean, it's just, this is God's country. You know, it's kind of that mentality, you go out to Yosemite. This is God's country, right? I mean, it's just, it's kind of like that cowboy thing. I, I know, your outdoors thing, right? I mean, it's just, it's an expression. But listen, I am thankful that we have the privilege of having a country that's built on Judeo-Christian ethics. That's the foundation of our, how we do things and whatnot. Um, but our, our country is, is, is not one big church, okay? Um, but there's a sense in which, though, as a church, we can kind of hoard God to ourselves and say, we just want to focus right here on us and, and, and you know, our own little group and just kind of keep it there. And, and, and what this, friends, is a problem when it comes to missions. People say, well, what about here? What about here? And the thing is, we want ministry to go on here. Agreed? But we also have a responsibility for where God would place us on the mission field. Okay? And we cannot hoard him. We have to say, God, you, have, you are blessing us and we want to turn around and allow that blessing now to go to wherever it is that you've placed us. So let me, let me uh, just kind of summarize that by saying God, God is sovereign and he works through his people, his word, his gospel. Now, what, do we, what is it that we can do? What about gateway? And here we're going to kind of shift over into some practical realm, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk you through some things that hopefully will be helpful to you that will create some discussion, and we have about 15 or so minutes to kind of walk through this. But I hope this is helpful. I hope this gives you a, a good perspective. First of all, some specific things that we can do, and I've been convinced of this for years, and hopefully this, these three things right now will help us to kind of see how can we flesh this out further. First of all, finances. Our prosperity is our opportunity right now. Just saying this, this is not an appeal for you to give more. This is simply a declaration to you and to us to say, God has blessed us in our country, and we could even say on the West Coast with having an abundance of financial resource. Now, we've already said we've committed to our budget being this, this mission thing. It's not like, you know, come on, dig in. We've got we to gotta meet our mission's budget. No, we've committed to saying that our, our budget is our mission's budget. In there is missions. You just faithfully give 
as you would give to, to glorify God, that money is being parceled out, and part of that's going into missions. You get that? Now, there may be some things that we do above and beyond. We say, hey, we've got a missionary endeavor. We'd like to do you know, such and such. But as the fabric of our church goes, we are committed to missions through our budget. So this is not an appeal. This is simply saying, listen, financially, we have resources that can be used for the glory of God in missions. All right? Secondly, education. Anyone, anyone here have a high school diploma? Do you realize that many people around the world don't even have, you know, we say an eighth grade education? Anyone here have a college degree? Okay. Now, I'm not, I really don't want to focus so much on degrees and stuff like that. But did you know, if, here, maybe put it this way, if, you, if we understand that our goal being a church is to apply to know, apply, and to proclaim the word of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We, have been, we are committed to being a, a church that is training and equipping its own people for the work of ministry, which means that as we grow and as we focus on equipping, we are developing future people who can have an impact on missions around the world. It doesn't have to be a seminary-trained pastor. Because you and I are going to go through a process of equipping, and you as the person who's sitting and learning and growing, if you go in many contexts around the world in a missionary endeavor, you're going to have far more biblical knowledge and understanding than the people that you're sitting in front of or standing in front of, and you'll be able to teach and shepherd and guide them with what you know. You, we are blessed to have this gift of education. What are we going to do with it? All right, the third thing, and this is probably not an exhaustive list, but we are available. Now, there, there are few countries around this world who let their people go on lengthy vacations, who have the resources to go on vacations, who have the, re have the freedom to say, you know, I'm going to go for a couple of weeks to some country and I'm going to do some work. We do. <laughs> now, you can choose what you do with that time. Right? And this is not a guilt trip for anyone that goes on vacation. I just had one. All right? Kind of. All right? All right? The thing is, we, there, there's so much more flexibility for us and availability for us to be able to do this kind of stuff. And I just want to put that in here. This is just, just kind of the, you know, the top of the, uh, of the picture, so to speak, just some basic principles. We have resources. We have education. We have the flexibility to do this kind of stuff. Now, um, <clears throat> let's just think now with those things being true, what is the state of the evangelical Christianity around the world? Now, here's where we're going to have some fun. You ready for some fun? Because it's been just dull and boring so far, I realize that. Here's the fun, all right? Here is a map of the world, all right? Now, as you look at this map, there's some things I want you to notice. Um, this is the world that we live in. This is put together by IMG, uh, which is the International, um, or sorry, IMB, International Missions Board. It's a Southern Baptist organization who's done a very, very statistical analysis of the state of evangelicalism around the world. Okay? Now, a couple of things about this. This is a snapshot of 2012. So this is the world in which we live, but understand this. This is God's world. The progress of the gospel is completely and totally his work. This is what he's doing. The colors are pretty, but each color actually is made up of dots. 
and each dot represents an ethnic group of about 50,000 people, all right? And uh, we'll see in just a minute a couple of things, how we can flesh that out and understand it more. It goes from red being unreached, unchurched, to dark green being reached and churched. Does that help make sense there? And kind of yellow and orange in between, all right? Now, a couple of things. Notice the statistics at the bottom. At present, 2012, 6.9 billion people in the world. That's not our national deficit. That's people in the world, okay? And that'll give you some talking points later. All right. But I also want you to notice this 11,535 people groups. People groups. A good portion of those people groups have unique languages. So they are people groups with unique languages where there is no Bible. All right? There is not even a resource in many occasions to help you understand the Bible. Okay? Now, let's move on a little bit here. And just take me a moment just to give some definitions. You don't have to get all this down. We'll talk more about this. I'll have this printed up and, and stuff uh, for, for future times. But think about this. Unreached people groups, a people group in which less than 2% of the population are evangelical Christians. All right, less than 2%. They're un, they're, that, that's the definition missiologists are using to describe unreached, okay? It's, it's arbitrary. They've come up with their own definition, but it's a helpful one to give us a category. You with me there? We didn't get that definition from the word. We just get a definition here for helpful understanding. Last frontier people group is a subset of unreached people groups, all right? A people group which is unreached and has not had a new evangelical church started within the past two years. I mean, so this is a people group who've Last two years, there hasn't been any church planting endeavor or church planting or churches established. And engage means a group of people is engaged with the church planting strategy consistent with evangelical faith. So these are words, these are expressions you're going to hear the next couple of weeks. They're going to be part of our vocabulary just to help us talk through what does God want us to do in missions um, and uh, helpfully uh, give us some perspective. Then here is the definition of an evangelical that they are using to define all of this. And it's a pretty good definition, I think, right? And an evangelical Christian is a person who believes that Jesus Christ is the sole source of salvation through faith in him, has personal faith in conversion with regeneration by the Holy Spirit, recognizes the inspired word of God as the only basis for faith and Christian living, and is committed to biblical preaching and evangelism that brings others to faith in Jesus Christ. It's important for you to see that definition as opposed to a Barna definition, which says, mm, the people think that they're born again. All right, George Bonner's definition of an evangelical Christian is, these people believe they're born again. Okay? Which one's more powerful? Which one's more specific? Question? This one up here. This is, all right, it's a pretty good definition to help us identify some things. I'm not being facetious unnecessarily. I'm being purposeful to help us understand that definitions are important, right? So when we look up here, this is not a Catholic church being talked about. This is evangelical, Bible-centered, Christ-centered, Word-centered Christianity. Got it? All right? Now, here we go. Here are all these different degrees. Again, don't, don't copy them down. 
the darkest one there, no evangelical Christian churches, no access to major evangelical print, audio, visual, or human resources. There's nothing. Nothing going on there, right? Less than 2%, next one, less than 2% evangelical, some evangelical resources available, but no active church planting within the past two years. Then we have the orange, less than 2% evangelical uh, initial church planting within the uh, last two years. Then there's number three, less than 2% evangelical widespread church planting within the past two years. That is all considered to be unreached, right? Just as far as definitions go. It's still 2% under. And so they've, they've broken down that unreached into some different categories to help us understand what's the nature of this particular people group, okay? Now, I, if I'm, I'm losing with statistics here, I hope this, I don't want to do that. Notice the other colors. The, the, the goal here ultimately is to be, is to be in that dark green category, which is 10%. And think about it, what's 10%? Is that a big number? Not really. Okay, so don't just think, ah, if it's green, forget about it. It's already taken care of, right? Here we go. Ready? Here's the fun. We're going to go one step at a time through each of these colors and just kind of take an impression of uh, what these look like. I don't want to be in the way of anyone here. So here we go. All right. <clears throat> oh, this is the whole world again. And uh, here we go with the uh, dark ones. What are some impressions you have just looking at that? This is the known, known evangelical Christians or churches. Any impressions? All right, what about this? Any impressions? Now, why do you think India is so red? Yeah, it's actually a population issue. It's, it's, it's the variety of ethnic groups, but there's so many people in that region. Um, and this is a little closer in. Same category. This is the second one now. What's your impressions when you look at this? There's a particular country I want you to look at up there. It's called the United States of America. Right? I mean, there's unreached people in the United States? I mean, according to those definitions? Yeah. All right, here's the next one. Okay. Here's the next one. We're this is still all considered unreached. This is just the different categories. Okay? Now we start getting into some green. Aha, okay. Right, Mexico is doing pretty well there, huh? Okay. Um, ah, wow. Look at that. A lot of South America, China, Nigeria. Okay. Ah, okay. That's where the United States kicks in. But notice India. Okay, I just, it just tells you there's a lot of people there. All right? Now, I'm trying to give you some perspective, some awareness, so you can look back and say, what is the state of evangelicalism around the world? Um, this can be a help to us. Here's a couple other ones to look at, though. All right, here's the United States. Again, these are all people groups. Um, this is the Bay Area. What strikes you when you look at that? What do you see? Well, don't think so much about the space. Think about the colors because they represent groups. What color are you surprised to see up there? 
I, for me, it would be unreached. It would be the reds, the yellows, the oranges. All right, what does that represent? The Bay Area is an inlet for internationals to come, and they typically come and they set up shop in particular neighborhoods that they all stay in. So you actually have unreached people groups in the Bay Area. Just something to consider, just something to think about. Could be your neighbor. It doesn't mean that they don't drive down the road and see churches and like they go, oh, okay, we, we figured it all out now. This church is there, therefore we're reached. No, this is a, an ethnic group that does not have any Bible-believing pastor, teacher, church at work in its context. Okay? That's just something to think about. Again, closer look at some areas. Now, I want you to look hard at this. What impression? You know what that is? China, North Korea, South Korea, Japan. Based on this study, Japan is the most populated and most unreached country at present. That may surprise you, especially if you have been in the military and you were stationed in Japan. Because there seemed to be, after the war, a flood of Americans going over there, a flood of ministries going over there, but there's still just a ton of various ethnic groups there and peoples that do not have the witness of the gospel there. Anything else surprise you? Are you surprised by how green China is? Now, why is that? Listen, this is, this is what you call an answer to prayer. <laughs> China has been one of those countries that the church has been praying for because we, we know there's a church there that's typically considered underground or it's persecuted. You know? They're not doing too bad. Now, there's still plenty of unreached going on there, right? But I tell you what, there's still a lot happening for the glory of God in China. Right, look, at, look at South Korea. It's hard on here. It's actually the darkest green. Can I just tell you something? The United States of America is not the only country that does missions. Just, just want you to be aware of that. You know, I, I first encountered this one time when I was doing missions work, and I met someone who was doing missions work from another country, and I just thought, oh, there are other countries that are doing missions too? <laughs> yes! Because they have churches, and they want to have a missionary impact, and God is using them, and they have inroads that we cannot have inroads in, and all that kind of stuff, all right? Let's continue on here. There's India again. Um, so this, these are all the unreached people groups, all the colors together. It's pretty, pretty impactful, isn't it? So where does God want Gateway to work? <laughs> Pick a dot, any dot, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously we can't do it all. But what I want us to think about is saying, listen, God, bless us. Not bless us simply because we want to be the end game, but bless us because we desire to be used by you to have an impact in another area in the world that you have called us to so that the word of God can be opened, can, and you can be known, it can be applied, and it can be proclaimed by them to teach the nationals to do the work of the ministry. What is that going to look like? How are we going to do it? Um, these are all the frontier, again. 
the unreached, and there's the, the picture of the whole thing one more time. Now, friends, I share that with you not because I want any immediate results. I share that with you because I want you to think. I want you to kind of let it settle in. A lot of times, you know, a, 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 a missions message has an end game of, you know, all right, we're taking an offering now, right? Um, or, you know, come forward, and if you, if, you know, if you feel God's calling you to missions, listen, if God is moving in that direction, that, that's great. That would be our greatest joy to see our people desire to go off into the mission field. But we've got to step back and say, first of all, we have to be convinced as a church that missions is part of our responsibility for the glory of God. And friends, we need to be talking about that and thinking about that and understand maybe some of the language there. Now, am I saying that the only place that we should go is some unreached group? No, I'm not saying that. I just want to give you a picture of what's going on there. There are other, other questions that we have to ask to determine where would we want to go. For example, we're, you know, two weeks we're going to Bolivia. Bolivia, the country of Bolivia, would not be considered unreached. But I can tell you what they are. I talked to Matthias. He oversees, um, he oversees about 12 churches, specifically himself. He, and he also cares for another eight, I think, that he reports to the government for, he has to know about and do paperwork for and stuff. Of those 12, there are six churches that do not have pastors, trained pastors. The struggle is, in that context, Christian workers, people willing to serve God and to be trained for ministry. So, friends, that's, that's also a critically important dynamic of ministry um, for missions. It's not just the new frontier. It's also the church that's already established that is struggling. So we need to talk through some of that. But we've looked enough, and I hope this has been helpful for you. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for your goodness. May we praise you in such a way, Lord, that we demonstrate our gladness, our joy. May you bless us. So, Lord, that we can bless others who will turn around and praise you for who you are. We ask in your precious name. Amen.